Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we praise you. We lift you on high and we give you the honor and the glory and the praise that you rightly deserve. Lord, you are on your throne and you are God alone. And we praise you for that. Lord, that you are the perfect, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the all-present, the unchanging, holy God, King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you that you are our God, that you love us in good times and bad upon your throne. You are God alone and you love us. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. And this morning, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. You have spoken through your worship and now we pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds through your word. Change us, Lord. From the inside out, let us become the men and women of God that you've called us to be. So Lord, we thank you for who you are, that you are God alone, and that you are our God. And we lift you high, we praise you, and lift all of these things in the name of our loving Lord and amazing Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to First Southern. We're glad that you're here. Now, before I dive into my sermon, I want to give one more quick announcement. Um, we have been in the process of creating a space for First Southern where we could gather and spend time together. And I'm excited to tell you that what was previously called the old library has been completely renovated um, and is now going to be what we're going to call a welcome center. And starting next weekend, if you come onto our campus, don't go over here to the front of the building for your coffee and donuts because they won't be there. They're going to be in what was previously known as the old library, what is now going to be called our welcome center. And the great thing about this is when it's 115 degrees outside, we're going to get to sit and eat donuts in the air conditioning instead of out in the sun. So this is going to be a wonderful time. It's going to be a great place to gather. Um, I am going to encourage you this. Next weekend, and I'll say this in next weekend's service, but next weekend, after the service is over, I want you to make plans not to get up and walk straight to your classroom. I want you to make plans to get up and walk over to the Welcome Center. And here's why. We have two different services that happen on this campus. And right now, there is no opportunity for the people of this service and the people of the modern service to get together and talk to one another and meet one another. But this new place is going to give us the opportunity to do that. There are people that meet over in the modern service at 11 o'clock that you've never even seen their faces probably. And there are people over there that I'm going to tell them, there are people that meet at 9.30 that you've never seen their faces. And I want to encourage and get our two congregations to gathering together and meeting one another and spending time together. So next Sunday, after the service, make plans to go over to the Welcome Center and get some coffee and get some donuts and spend some time together as the body of Christ, as one unified body of Christ here at First Southern. So that's coming next weekend. Make plans after the service to make your way over there. 
We'll have places to sit and relax and drink your coffee and eat your donut, uh, but make plans to go over there and check it out. So, that's my announcement for this morning. This morning, I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read your Bible on, and I want you to turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible with you or an app on your device, we have Bibles in the back of the pews. If you want to grab one of those and turn to John 19, uh, we welcome you to do that. If you don't have a Bible at home, I want to encourage you with this. If you don't have a Bible at home, at the end of the service, I want you to take that Bible out of the back of the pew, and I want you to just tuck it up under your arm and walk out the door with it this morning. Because here's the thing. We want everybody to have a Bible at their home that they can read and reference and study. And so if you don't have a Bible at home, please let that be our gift to you. Take that Bible, walk out the door with it, and consider it a gift. We would love for you to have that. Now, let me uh, start out this message as you're turning to John 19 with a little bit of a controversial subject. Um, I'll be honest, I generally try to avoid things that are divisive, uh, topics that are uh, controversial, uh, simply because I don't think that there's any good win. I don't think that that edifies the body of Christ. Um, But today I think I'm going to have to do that because of the the subject matter of today's message. And and here's the controversial topic. Sports. (laughs) How many of you have ever watched a team win a game and just cheered for them and been exhilarated and excited in that moment. I know I have. Uh, Some of you may not be sports people, and you look at sports people and go, you people are crazy. But I I kind of agree with you, so you, you can understand this as well. I can remember back to 2006 when the University of Texas Longhorns played in the college championship against the USC Trojans. And I know, I know some of you in this room are USC fans, and I pray for you daily. (laughs) But in that game, the University of Texas had a quarterback named Vince Young who was unstoppable. He was an amazing quarterback. And the game was back and forth through the entire uh, four quarters of play. And at the very end of the game, it was really close. The, The Texas Longhorns were down. Um, Vince Young had driven his team down the field and had gotten within nine yards of the end zone. And they were on, I want to say it was fourth down with five yards uh, for the first down. And Vince Young took the ball out of a shotgun. If you know football, you know what I'm talking about. He took the ball and all of his receivers were covered. He had no one to throw to, even though it was a passing play. And I remember sitting on my couch, chewing my nails in nervousness, trying to figure out what was going to happen in this this nail-biting ending of a game, thinking, oh no, Vince doesn't have anybody to throw to. The game's over. USC is going to win. I'm going to be sad. Oh, this is going to be terrible. And then, to my hope and my salvation... Vince realized that he had no one to throw to and just ran it right in. Nine yards, ran it right into the end zone. Texas was up 
one point with several seconds left on the clock, they decided to do a two-point conversion. And guess what? They got the two-point conversion. And Texas won the college championship that year. I remember wearing my Texas t-shirt until it was torn, until it was just ragged because I was so proud to be a University of Texas fan. I remember thinking, man, we've got the best team in the world. We're, we're victorious. I remember just being elated. I mean, it was just such an amazing season, an amazing game. And here's the thing. There are things that happen. There are championships and victories that we have no part in that we get to celebrate being a part of, don't we? Uh, If you're a sports fan, if you've experienced your team winning, you can wear your colors with pride, and you can go out and talk about how you're such a big fan of this team or that team, but did you have any role in them winning? No. I don't care if you believe in wearing lucky socks that haven't been washed in 15 years. I don't care if you think that prayer affects the winning or losing of a championship football or basketball or baseball game. It doesn't, I don't think. But it doesn't matter what you think, how you affected the game. You really don't have any true effect. But you get to reap the benefits of their victory, don't you? Here's the thing. We're going to read this in just a moment. We get to reap the victory of Jesus' championship. We had no part in what Jesus did on the cross. As a matter of fact, it's argued rightly that we were the ones who put Him on the cross. But the fact of the matter is, is that we had no part in Him gaining victory over sin and death, yet we get victory over sin and death because of what He did. We can truly be fans of Jesus Christ. And let's be honest, fans is an abbreviation of the word fanatic. We should be fanatics in the victory of Jesus, shouldn't we? So, Let's look at today's passage. John chapter 19, we're in verse 30. Uh, And if you're a guest with us or or you've missed a few weeks over the last six weeks or so, uh, we're in a series called The Seven Sayings of Jesus from the Cross. Uh, And this series is all about Jesus uh, being betrayed. He, He went and died on a cross for our sins. And as he was dying, he made seven statements. And each one of those statements has something to teach us. And I love today's statement. I I think today's statement is probably my favorite statement that Jesus makes from the cross because of what it is. So look with me in John 19, and we're going to be in verse 30. Now last week, we talked about how he said, I thirst. And here's the response that the soldiers had out of that. Verse 30, when he had received the drink. So he said, I thirst. They gave him a little drink. Uh, of sour wine. It says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. It's a short statement. It's a statement that seems sorrowful. It seems sad. It rings of defeat, doesn't it? 
Uh, he's basically saying, okay, I've fought, I've fought, I'm done. That's what it seems to be saying. But here's the thing. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. And, and I haven't talked about the Greek uh, in a while, but today we have to talk to, about the Greek. This statement, it is finished, is one Greek word. The Greek word is teteleste, teteleste. That Greek word is the sentence, it is finished. The Greek works completely different than English does. So teteleste is the actual statement that Jesus makes. And here's this, the meaning of the word teteleste. It means to bring something to a close or to completion and have success and victory in its completion. Okay? So let me give you some examples of how this was used in other instances of Greek literature that we have in front of us. If you were to go and do a study of the word teteleste in all of the Greek literature that we have available, you would find out that this is the way it's usually used. First off, it was used by servants who were reporting back that a mission that they were sent on was accomplished, okay? So a servant would be sent out by the master to go complete some mission or, or some objective that they had. And when they came back, if they had finished it and had accomplished exactly what their master had asked them to do, they would come back to the master and say, Tetelestay, with joy. They would say, Tetelestay, it's done. I finished it. I've completed it. It's victorious. It's successful. Another way it was used is that artists, so if someone was making a painting or sculpting a beautiful sculpture, when they completed it and they were 100% satisfied and knew at that point that there was nothing else that needed to be done with it, they would say, Tetelestay. It's completed and is exactly the way it should be. Another way that it was used is that a merchant, a seller, would write a bill and at the end, once the bill was completely paid, he would write Tetelestay on the bill. So if you went to a seller and bought some very expensive item and you paid up front for it, on that bill, that merchant would write to Telestate. It is paid in full. The last very common usage was when a soldier would go into battle and that battle was finished and that soldier's army was victorious. He would yell, to Telestate! Did I catch your attention? He would yell that word because that word meant it's finished and we are victorious. That's the statement Jesus makes. Does that put a different spin on the phrase, it is finished? Jesus is not defeated when he makes this statement. He is not sorrowful. He is not downtrodden. He is screaming a victorious banner to us. He is telling us, I have completed exactly what I came to do, and I have completed it in victory. Doesn't that give us hope today? That Jesus 
completed exactly what he wanted to do. And he victoriously said, I have finished it, Lord, and I have been successful and victorious in it. That's what this means. So what did he complete exactly? What exactly is it that he's saying, I've completed, I've, I've accomplished? Well, if you go and read through Old and New Testament about what the Messiah was going to do and what he did do, there are five key pieces here. First off, he took away the sin of the world. If you go to John 1.29, you're going to read where John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he looks and goes, look, the one who takes the sin of the world. So he took the sin of the world. The second thing is he took away our penalty for sin. I've talked about a little bit, I've spoken a little bit about how because we have disobeyed God's perfect law, we are spiritual criminals, right? We have committed unlawful acts by disobeying God's law. And there's a penalty to a crime. But when Jesus says it is finished, that means that that penalty was taken away from us because he paid the penalty for us. So that's the second thing. The third thing that he accomplished was that he satisfied the justice of God for us. Because he took our penalty, because he paid our price, the justice of God. Don't be mistaken. God is love, but God is also just And his justice must be fulfilled. And when Jesus died on the cross and he took all the sins of the world and he paid that price, he paid the justice that had to be paid. The fourth thing is that he brought salvation to all who would call on his name. And of course, for those of us in this room who are followers of Christ, this is the big one for us. Because in His name alone can be found salvation. There is no other name in heaven or on earth that can bring eternal salvation. It is only through Jesus Christ and His death on the cross, His cleansing blood for our sins, His sacrifice. That's the only way to be saved. And without that salvation, what's the price? Eternal death. And that's the fifth thing that Jesus accomplished. He gained victory over death. We don't have to pay a price of eternal death and punishment anymore. Because as followers of Christ, He paid that price and gained victory over that death. So those are the five things that Jesus accomplished. But 1 Corinthians 15 verses 55 through 57 say this. I'll repeat it again. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 through 57. It says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because Jesus accomplished all five of those elements of life, all of those five things that 
bring us down. Because he gained victory over them, he gave victory to us. And this is my statement. This is that thing I want you to go home and I want you to think about this week. And that statement is this. His victory is our victory. His victory is our victory. I had no role in the victorious season that the University of Texas Longhorns had in 2005 and winning the the game in 2006, the championship for the 2005 season. I had no role, no part at all to play in that. But as a Texas fan, I got to claim victory along with my team. We had no role in the victory that Jesus had over sin and death, but we still get the victory. We still reap the victorious benefits of His victory. Jesus got the championship ring and He gave it to you. That's a big deal. He won the crown and He gives us a chance to wear it. That's a big deal. His victory is our victory. And I would take that a step further. His victory is your victory and my victory. Without Jesus, we are defeated. Without Jesus, we have no hope. Without Jesus, there's no way that we can accomplish or achieve or gain hold of the salvation that every single one of us needs. But because he had victory, we have victory. Isn't that beautiful? That because of his victory, we have victory. But what do we have victory over? We have victory over our sin, don't we? Every single one of us has sinned, and every single one of us struggles with sin. And our sin has created a debt, a a debt that we owe that's so large we could never, ever repay it. And Jesus, as the merchant, took that invoice of debt that we owe, and on the top of it he wrote, Tetelaste, it is paid in full. Your bill, if you're a follower of Christ, is paid in full. Tetelaste. A debt that could not be paid by you is paid by the king. So we have victory over sin. We have victory over death. That doesn't mean that we're all going to live eternally on this earth with these bodies. Every single one of us in this room will die. Unless Jesus comes back for us, which that's a whole different sermon. But the fact is, is that because Jesus rose from the grave three days later and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty... We have victory over the effects of death on our lives spiritually. And as a result, we also have victory with our eternity. We have victory with where we will go forever and ever and ever and ever. That's victory. So how do we live in His victory? How do we make the word tetelestai our rallying cry, our battle cry for the world to see. Well, first off, 
we understand because God, because Jesus' sacrifice on the cross paid the price and is still paying the price for our sins, the fact is, is that we don't have to achieve it through our good works. Which the good news is, is that nothing you do, good or bad, is going to affect your salvation. If you have a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, that relationship, that faith in Christ is what gives you salvation. How good a person or how bad a person you are does not affect that any way, shape, or another. Your relationship, your faith, your belief in Jesus is what brings it. And so we don't have to worry about working to gain or earn that salvation. And it's not about what you did or what you can do to be victorious. It's about what He did to gain it and be victorious. Remember, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about His statement. You see, because of it, we can have victory. But here's the thing. We have to learn as followers of Christ in that victory to stop going back to the things that defeated us in the first place. We have to stop going back to the sin that brings us down and that draws us away from the relationship that we have with Jesus. We have to turn away from that sin. We have to repent. And repentance simply means that we recognize what that sin is and we go the other way. We do everything in our power to not have that sin in our life anymore. So we have to learn as victorious people to stop going back to the loser that we were, to the defeat that we lived in. As a University of Texas fan in 2006 after that championship, I wasn't going to wear the colors of the losing team because my team was victorious. Why would I go back to the, the one that lost? Why do we go back to our sin? Why do we have the banquet table of the Lord in front of us and we eat trash? Why do we go back to our own vomit? We've got to learn to turn away from our sin and live in the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. We have to learn to have the right attitude. Too many of us, all too many times, despite the fact that we have the hope and salvation of Jesus, we still play the victim. We have the wrong attitude. Or we're that disgruntled person that never smiles and no one ever sees joy in. We have victory! We should have all the joy on the planet. When people come around us, they should feel the joy that we have because we have eternal victory. We should proudly wear Jesus Christ as our colors, as our banner. But all too many times, we just have the attitude. No, we should live in joy. We should live in a way that people want what we have. Because who doesn't want victory? We can't live in fear any longer. Whom shall I fear? If the Lord is for me, who can be against me? Because He's victorious. Put away the fear. If God's for you, who can or what can be against you? And lastly, we put away our selfishness. 
We stop living for ourselves and we live for our Savior. We live for Him. And here's the thing. If you go in my office or in pretty much any room in my house, you're going to see something about the Texas Longhorns. I'm kind of an extreme fan. I'm probably a little sick. But here's the thing. Shouldn't we be that way with our Savior? That every facet of our life tells people about Jesus? That people know without a doubt, not because we just talk about it all the time with no action to support it, but because we live the way we live, shouldn't people look at us and go, you know what, I don't know what it is, but I bet that person is a follower of Jesus. Shouldn't that be the impression that people have of us? I've been pushing this, and I'm going to keep pushing this. So get used to it. Who's your one? Easter is two weeks away, and Easter is the best season of the year to invite people who do not know Christ or have maybe walked away from Christ or have been hurt by church in the past. This is the season where those people will go, you know what? If someone invited me, I would actually consider going right now because it's Easter. Who's that person in your life that you need to bring to church Easter morning? Who's that person you need to invite to the passion play so that they can see the sacrifice of Jesus and the salvation and the hope that is found in Him alone? Who do you need to invite to the Easter egg hunt so that their kids and the parents can experience the love and hope of Jesus? Who's your one? Who's that person that needs that victory in their life? You've got it. And you've got an unlimited amount of it because you have it in the victorious Savior of Jesus Christ. And it's time to share that victory with your friends and family and co-workers. So who is your one? Because it's crunch time, people. It's the fourth quarter, and we're in the fourth. Uh, we're five yards from the end zone. Fourth down, and we've got to make the play now. We've got two weeks. If you've been praying about someone and having those intentional conversations, it's now time to start looking for the opportunity that the Holy Spirit will open up for you to invite them to come to church on Easter. It's time. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, thank you so much for today. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you that you are victorious. And only through your victory can we have victory over sin and death and our eternity. Lord, let us live in that victory and help us to share that victory with others. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We thank you for your willingness to sacrifice your one and only unique son to die on a cross for our sins so that we could receive heaven instead of hell. We thank you for that. And Lord, we pray that we would honor you and praise you and point others to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, in the victory of Jesus' name. Amen.
Now's the time in our service where we have an opportunity to respond. And maybe God's been speaking to you and you need to take some action today. Uh, First, we've got the altar open. If you want to come and pray, come down here and pray. Uh, If you have questions about faith, maybe you're interested in becoming a follower of Jesus and you want to know what that looks like. Myself and Pastor Josh are available. We'll be here on the front pew. Or or, or after the service, if you'd like to talk to one of us, uh, Josh will be up here at the front and I'll be out in the foyer. We would love the opportunity to talk to you about what a life-changing relationship with Jesus looks like. So now, let's respond in victorious worship and let's stand and worship our King.